this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today since march 2020 when the covid-19 pandemic first struck india A majority of our health resources have been allocated towards battling the virus. The country went through a first wave last year with an intense lockdown in place and faced a brutal second wave this year. But while we needed all available healthcare systems to fight COVID-19, what has happened to patients with other diseases who were in need of frequent care? Some studies from last year indicated a decrease in the number of surgeries and patient consultations at hospitals, affecting patients with cancer, those with kidney disease who required dialysis, as well as those with a host of other conditions lack of transport options during the various lockdowns in states fear of contracting the virus and the loss of incomes may all have contributed to fewer patients seeking care some children missed out on important routine vaccinations though the government has made efforts to ensure that missed children get their doses since it looks as if covid-19 may be with us for some time more what can governments do moving forward in order to ensure that healthcare services do not suffer Do we need better primary health systems in our country and what are the steps that can be taken to achieve this To discuss these questions and more we have with us today Dr Rajiv Dasgupta professor at the Center of Social Medicine and Community Health Jawaharlal Nehru University Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast Dr Rajiv Good morning and thank you very much for the invitation Dr Rajiv it's been more than 16 months since the covid-19 pandemic struck in India affecting hundreds of thousands of people almost all of our health resources were directed towards battling the virus especially during the brutal second wave and while this was necessary it had a huge impact on patients suffering from other health conditions what has this done to our health system have resources for health conditions other than covid-19 been severely affected well the <clears throat> experience over the last uh, one and a half years has been that uh, much of the attention for obvious reasons has been focused on covid all government uh, inputs have been on the covid sector but at the same time many of those inputs are health systems elements and therefore that would or can be hoped to strengthen health services in general but that's about the general the specifics of what happened to non covid conditions is now increasingly being analyzed <clears throat> drawing upon data from the health management information system which is a government uh, run and maintained health information system collecting data from nearly 200000 government and private institutions from across the country and what's beginning to emerge is actually quite instructive what has been begun to emerge doctor from the data essentially what we find uh, either looking at year on year changes or looking at the lockdown period uh, changes are several and the and the big picture is as follows that patients registered in emergencies which is where most of the serious conditions come and deaths and morbidity can be 
significantly prevented or reduced. So attendance or registration at emergency departments have gone down, but the deaths occurring at emergencies have gone up. And this is to the tune of 38-39% comparing year-on-year changes, which actually means that given the lockdown and other related constraints, but then the lockdown hasn't been through the year, these are year-on-year changes, given these various constraints, obviously those who need it haven't been able to access emergency services to the extent to which it is required. But even in the backdrop of reduced patients, the number of deaths have actually gone up. So this adds to the whole discourse and debate on excess mortality in the COVID period. All the excess mortality in the COVID period are not directly related to COVID, but this excess mortality also arises on account of missing or failing to prevent other causes of death, which under normal circumstances would have been, and therefore it contributes to the overall excess mortality during this pandemic periods. It just confirms uh, this this broad trend or, the, or this broad argument. There are, of course, specifics to it. We can discuss them more at length. Dr. UNICEF in a report last month said that India had the highest number of unprotected children worldwide at 3.5 million unprotected in terms of unvaccinated, an increase of 1.4 million compared with 2019. The central government, however, has said that this does not reflect the true picture. Could you tell us what has happened to routine childhood immunizations during the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns? In specific terms, as far as childhood immunizations go, the fact is that last year, during the very stringent lockdown phase, immunization coverage was severely affected, as was all routine services. Immunization is was no exception in that sense. However, uh, following a review around September or so, the, the Immunization Division and the Union Ministry of Health and Family Welfare undertook a series of corrective measures and therefore compensated some of that if we compare year-on-year figures, and the shortfall uh, is to the extent of 5 to 6%, which, which can be understood in a, in a pandemic situation. What, however, is more instructive is what was happening in those periods and what was happening to childhood diseases in general. Now, again, this is available from the HMIS. Uh, many data analysts are looking at that Uh, Very recently, the CNBC TV18 has been running a series on it. And what we find significantly from that data is that the major childhood killers, which are pneumonia, respiratory infection, sepsis, asthma, uh, again, when we look at this reporting in, in health services, that's gone down remarkably for these childhood diseases, ranging from 60 to 70%. Now, put differently, it means that 60 to 70% of children with these potentially mortal conditions weren't able to access services and would have been treated either at home or in more informal settings. And one can only imagine that the outcomes would be worse than receiving care in formal settings. And, and that's crucial 
uh, add to this the fact that the malnutrition or, or, or the severe acute malnutrition data which is, which is uh, recorded by the number of children reporting to the nutrition rehabilitation centers, that's gone up, gone down to the extent of 55% plus, which is in the backdrop of an, a, a rising malnutrition picture available from the National Family Health Survey 5 of the states which have been completed so far. So all this put together means that children have received less attention for malnutrition, have received less care for these conditions. And uh, even, even for diseases such as pertussis, which is whooping cough, one, one vaccine-preventable disease, diphtheria, another vaccine-preventable disease, and measles, the hospitalization for these conditions, again, have reduced by 50 to 60 percent, where one can only imagine that the outcomes have been far worse. So to sum up, while the immunization coverage or performance can be compensated over time by through mop-up rounds and, and through extra efforts, diseases that would have occurred during this period of less coverage would have had worse consequences than generally. But then, given the requisites of the lockdown, a whole range of services were compromised and it's got to be seen in that light. Doctor, you said a whole range of services were compromised. So many doctors in the country have spoken about cancer care, dialysis for those with kidney diseases, surgeries and general outpatient consultations also being affected. Lack of transport, fear of contracting the virus at hospitals were some of the reasons from patients. Some procedures, if delayed, could have less than optimal outcomes as well. Are we going to see an increase in morbidity in patients with illnesses? This is a very genuine concern and it does require more intensive work. It is also true that now it's known that surgeries, for example, were less to the extent of about 50%. We really haven't followed up systematically what's been happening to patients on cancer therapy or patients on dialysis. And therefore, many of the discussions are based on more on anecdotal uh, evidence rather than very systematic surveys. Even, even the fact that given that there was a very rapid spread of uh, COVID, particularly through the first wave and second wave, where one expects not just high mortality from the pandemic disease, but from the non-pandemic conditions also, one of the requirements advocated by the WHO is to undertake periodic mortality surveys, which would have picked up uh, not just COVID-related deaths, but also deaths from other conditions, which one can assume to have risen somewhat. But in the absence of such periodic mortality surveys, it's very difficult to gauge or estimate, particularly at the community or population level, the extent of excess mortalities from these conditions, if any. But the fact is that India has a huge incidence of non-communicable diseases. Yes, India has a very high non-communicable disease burden, particularly among younger populations or relatively younger populations. And therefore, there's no doubt that this ought to be a priority. And uh, well, the pandemic is not going away anywhere. 
there would be <clears throat> more waves. They may be more local. They may not be as national. But uh, as the zero service show, this 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 will continue to to linger on and or happen at state levels or at district levels. And therefore, there is a lesson at this point in being able to sustain the non-COVID health services better as we move along wherever surges occur. Doctor, thousands of people in our country have lost incomes and livelihoods due to the pandemic. We already have one of the highest rates of out-of-pocket expenditure in the world at 62.4%, and over 60% of our population is not covered by health insurance. Is this going to affect health-seeking behavior? Yes, this can certainly be expected to affect health-seeking behavior. Again, many of these impacts will be seen over months and years, and therefore it's important to invest in surveys, in research, focus specifically on these emerging problems and whether they are well-designed studies or whether they are collected through existing survey methods such as the National Sample Survey or some of the outcomes to the National Family Health Survey are are, are things to consider and invest uh, in. Uh, At the same time, there's 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 a responsibility on funding organizations such as the Indian Council of Medical Research, such as the Department of Science and Technology, the Indian Council of Social Science Research, to actually invest in the adverse health outcomes, in the inequities uh, that have crept in or, or worsening of the inequities that existed. And therefore, we can only learn uh, through that, uh, though, though many of these certainly seem to be very plausible. Doctor, studies have indicated that women have less access to healthcare in our country in general, and there is also a wide disparity in the quality of public health services available from state to state. What will be the long-term effects of the pandemic and the subsequent lack of access to healthcare on women's health and on the public healthcare system in general? One can only hope that uh, that the added investments will also have some collateral benefits for the health systems in general, and that it would, or it, or an effort uh, ought to be made to make things more equitable, whether it's in terms of gender or geography, or, or social disparities and so on. Uh, at, the, at, at the same time, it is also most likely that many of these inequities will, or would have worsened, uh, in the face of this this immense challenge. Also, while most economic sectors are opening up, things are certainly not normal by, by any stretch of imagination, particularly in terms of livelihood incomes, which have taken a, a huge beating or, or have, have certainly experienced setbacks. Therefore, in terms of uh, social uh, investment, uh, not and, and and not just health inequities, education also, for example, or livelihoods or skills, that that therefore will require or continue to require rather a whole of government response. Uh, but then inequities have to be made or addressing inequities have to be made a priority uh, more than ever before. What are the concrete steps or policies that the governments, both the center and at the state level, can take, Doctor? One of the things that has been pointed out during the pandemic is the huge burden placed on our community health workers, on our ASHA workers. What are the things that we can do going forward 
to strengthen our public health infrastructure? Broadly, what has come out are the weaknesses in the primary healthcare system. And it's not that they were unknown, uh, but that these emerged as, as very strong factors in the initial response to the COVID. And therefore, again, going back to the HMIS data, what's emerged very significantly from these uh, ongoing analysis is that the attendance in the rural and government institutions dropped sharply, whereas the attendance in the urban and private institutions rose very sharply. And therefore, much of the excess mortality that happened actually happened in the urban private care institutions, which clearly shows that there was a shift from in, in seeking care from rural to urban and a shift from public to private. And the consequences for out-of-pocket expenditure and, and, and others, other such ramifications are not hard to imagine. And therefore, the focus therefore needs to go back on rural or even urban primary health care services. One can imagine that many of these were relatively uncomplicated but would have ended as more complicated or more complex uh, conditions at the urban, private and one can presume relatively uh, high care or, or tertiary care institutions. And therefore, the focus back on primary health care as, as well as being able to make it inclusive and, 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 and focus on the commitments of the universal health coverage is extremely crucial at this point. And the pandemic, therefore, should be seen as an opportunity, uh, despite the losses that we have uh, suffered in terms of disease, uh, deaths, and, 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 and all other uh, economic fallouts. But this should be seen as an opportunity, seen as a wake-up call to invest in the primary health care. And, and, and this is really an opportunity to, to give UHC and SDG the primacy that it deserves. Has Ayushman Bharat uh, helped during this pandemic, doctor? It is not clear the extent to which uh, it has helped. Again, it would be a matter of systematic studies to be able to elicit this. But the fact is that uh, going by media reports from the ground, whether in terms of the supply side or in terms of access, there have been huge costs uh, and, and inconveniences that people incur. It, it, it must, however, be recognized that the magnitude and ferocity of the second wave particularly took everyone by surprise. And, and many countries uh, who, who are going through the second wave now, oh, sorry, the, the Delta variant-led wave now are, are facing very similar challenges both in Asia and Africa. So this is not to say that India is an ex was an exception in any manner, but that this has uh, this is very uh, strong and important lessons for health service, and therefore it is only relevant that we take those lessons and we plan and move accordingly. You spoke about the second wave brutally affecting several countries, Doctor. Are there any lessons we can learn uh, from international experience about what we, can, what we can be doing moving forward? The international experience is quite the same as India, in fact, uh, whether it's Indonesia, uh, other, other, other countries in, in, in East Asia at the moment, um, or, or even in India's neighborhood such as Nepal. Um, 
in 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 many of the African countries now. In fact, some of the worst in Africa is probably yet to come. Uh, again, both have both aspects have emerged very strongly. One is how much care are we able to provide at the primary level? All all COVID cases certainly do not need high end hospitalization. At the same time, they can worsen rapidly to require more intensive care. And the, and the second is actually being able to have better well-equipped hospitals, invest more in human resources, training, various ancillary services such as transfusion, such as uh, oxygen supply, such as waste management, and, and, and a plethora of needs that, that go with it. So investing in both primary as well as primary care as well as hospitals is something which is emerging very strongly. And as you pointed out earlier, the role of frontline health workers has been really crucial uh, in India as in other countries. Their, their contributions have been heroic. And, and it's not just those who were treating patients in intensive care that's heroic, but, but much has been happening uh, almost under the radar at field levels that helped India to even contain at the level we actually did. Doctor, just one last thing before we sign off. You spoke about the importance of investing in primary healthcare services. Does this also mean we need more community screening programs for non-communicable diseases in order to uh, in order to detect early and lessen the burden? Yes, uh, there has been a thinking and action on this on the part of the government, and uh, the fact is that uh, under the current set of circumstances. Uh, the frontline health workforce is both inadequate as well as underskilled to be able to take on this additional task, which is which one can imagine is quite gigantic. So there have been talks of adding uh, one more frontline worker or, or an ASHA, or as as some states argued, uh, well under courts a male ASHA. In other words given the fact that this envisages a move away from the traditional uh, women and child related health services to a more broad based uh, uh, service across uh, across uh, all all segments of the population particularly male to add a male uh, frontline health worker something that that a cadre which was there but has eroded over over a couple of decades now and this is true of all states so the need for more numbers and more skills uh, is is felt more than acutely now, and and that calls for for some very well considered strategic shifts and a lot more investment into human resources. Various ASHA evaluations have shown that skills is something uh, that that hasn't been the hallmark of ASHAs in in many states at least. But then there is a there is a reason for that. The, the ASHA, the institution of ASHA itself has suffered from what is called uh, a lack of role clarity, whether she is a volunteer, whether she is an activist or whether she is a health worker. Now, these, the, the, these clarities are necessary as we focus more on primary health care as well as frontline health workers. Thank you so much for this discussion, Doctor. Thank you very much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.